God's voice uh, through Psalm 23. And I don't think any sermon series on the Psalms would be uh, complete if it didn't have a message uh, regarding Psalm 23. It's a psalm that was written by King David, who wrote many of, of the psalms. It's one of the most beloved of all time, and it might even be the most famous Bible passage or chapter uh, in the whole Bible. Uh, it's, uh, it's interesting, though, because it's not a prayer. Uh, you know, David is not asking for anything, uh, but it's just a, an announcement, in a way, of the intimacy and the connection that David has with his Lord. It's a psalm that has brought much comfort uh, to many people, uh, those who are struggling, those who are near death, uh, but it is a blessed uh, psalm that uh, Charles Spurgeon called the pearl of the psalm. So I invite you, if you're able, to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. This is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, would you speak to us now through your word? Give us the courage to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, there's a show that I've watched a few times that I kind of like. It's called Undercover Boss. And the premise of the show is that the, the CEO or the president or basically the most important person in the whole company uh, goes undercover in their own company to, uh, to work in some of the jobs that aren't um, held around the boardroom table, if you know what I mean. Uh, for example, the owner of the Chicago Cubs uh, goes and works with the guy who cleans the bathrooms at the ballpark. He also helps to uh, sell hot dogs. And it's kind of a funny story because usually the, the CEO is really not good at doing these other kinds of jobs. And most often uh, when the person who is working with them, the one who normally does the job, says, yeah, I think I'm not sure that you really would be welcome to come back because you didn't do a good enough job. Uh, once, one time the guy that was uh, selling hot dogs in Chicago Stadium couldn't sell all of his hot dogs. And so what he did was he ate a couple and threw a couple in the trash and then put 20 bucks of his own money in the bin. And the guy running the, the hot dog area saw this and was like, you're fired. So the CEO of the Chicago Cubs, or whatever his title was, got fired by a guy that runs a hot dog area in a certain section. Uh, but it's really, it's really interesting. But what happens at the end, usually, is that the boss really is able to see some of the difficult work uh, that people are doing. He's able to see the limited resources that they have. He's able to understand, he or she, is able to understand uh, what the struggle is, both personally uh, and professionally, that these folks have. And so usually at the end, there's some kind of a happy ending as some people get promotions, um, but the boss learns what it's like to do some of the most menial stuff in the company. Well, Psalm 23 begins with the CEO. It begins with the president, the ruler, the almighty, the Lord. 
If you notice, if you look in your Bible and you see in Psalm 23 and many other places, nearly 4,000 places in the Old Testament actually, the word Lord is spelled in this way. It's a large, uh, capital L, large, and then lowercase, excuse me, uppercase uh, capitals, but it's kind of smaller. When that word is used in your Bible, it means, uh, it's the, trans- the English translation of the word Yahweh, uh, which used to be pronounced Jehovah. And it's the most uh, special and significant name for God in all of the Bible. It's the covenant Lord, the one who has established his relationship with his people. The one who has said, I will be your God and you will be my people. This is a special word. It's significant. Literally, the word means, I am that I am. It's, there's no consonants in the word. It's Yahweh. It's as though God is breathing out his own name. It means the God who is. This word brings out the control and the authority that God has because He is strong and powerful. But it also reveals that God is near to His people with His presence actively working in their lives. He is not a God who is far away. He is a God that is listening to the concerns of His people. He is near to them as they face hardship and pain. He is the one who has established a covenant with them. The Ten Commandments, this agreement, this relationship that's based on His action, His initiation. This is the Lord. And yet, in the very first line, King David says, The Lord is my shepherd. This is an amazing juxtaposition of ideas. The Lord of the universe, described as the one who performs one of the most menial tasks in all of the land. The shepherd. See, the shepherds, they were kind of outcasts in society. They were on the lower rungs of the social order. They, they stayed with the sheep all day and all night. Often they were alone for long periods of time. They were exposed to the harsh elements and they were dirty and they were smelly. There probably weren't that many Israelite children that said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they said, I want to be a shepherd. And yet, King David says, The Lord is my shepherd. You see, despite being the king of Israel, the most powerful and the respected of God's people, the one who was anointed by God, and who received all the power that came with that anointing, David understood what it was like to be a shepherd. Before he took the throne, he had tended his father's sheep. At one point in the history of David, in his story, uh, the Lord told the prophet Samuel, go to the house of Jesse and there you will anoint the next king of Israel. And so Samuel goes to Jesse's family and and, uh, Samuel brings out all of his sons and the oldest, the tallest, the one of the largest stature, uh, Samuel says, certainly this must be the next king. But the Lord said, no. He went to the next oldest, and certainly this must be the king. And he went through seven sons. Verse 10 of Second uh, Samuel says this, And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, 
He is keeping the sheep. It's interesting that that David wasn't even brought into the room where Samuel was because his own father didn't think that he would be the one that would be anointed the king. He was out tending the sheep. And yet now David is the most important person in the land. Before he was the king, he was a shepherd. And so he understood not only the power of the palace, but the anonymity of the sheep field. How beautiful it is that the Lord reveals Himself uh, to us in this way. John Calvin said, Such a mode of expression is humble and undemanding and should make a deep impression upon us. Since God, for our sake, is willing to stoop down and by such wonderfully gentle, intimate invitation entice us to Him so that we may rest safely and quietly under His protection. See, David knew this intimacy with the Lord, but he also knew what shepherds do. The shepherd provides. David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Everything that the sheep need is provided. Without the shepherd, the sheep lack everything. You know, sheep, they're not that bright. They don't run very fast. They don't have good natural defense mechanisms. But with the shepherd... They have everything they need. They have green pastures. They have still waters. You know, the land of Israel is is not like Memphis with all this green everywhere. A shepherd would need to know what kind of of, uh, grass his sheep would eat and know where they could take those sheep to be able to find it. And still waters are necessary in a dry and arid climate. Without these pools of water that the shepherd would take his sheep to, they would not survive for very long. But what's interesting to me in this first section of what uh, David describes in his relationship with the Lord, is that the first thing the shepherd does is to provide rest for the sheep. I read somewhere that uh, only, the sheep will only lie down if four different conditions will be met. Uh, if they're free from feeling hunger if they're free from parasites, if they're free from fear, and if they're free from uh, friction of other sheep. It has something to do with how they interact socially. Only then will they lie down and rest. And the psalmist, King David writes, makes me lie down in green pastures. The shepherd needs to ensure that all these things are happening so that the sheep will be able to find rest. You know, God wants us to be able to rest. And not just a good night's sleep, although that is part of it. We know that the Lord, when we know that the Lord will provide for us in every way, we can slow down. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of us uh, become lazy, but I'm suggesting that we should rest from the idea uh, that our productivity, how much we can create or produce, is what gives us value in the world. And that's hard for us as Americans because time is money. And we are efficient and we have lists and I just want to get some things done. But what is this efficiency getting for us? You know, hyperactivity, but nothing of substance or meaning really being accomplished. Schedules that are full, uh, full of things to do, but not much meaning or real connection in relationships. Busyness and a frenetic pace. It's no wonder that we can't sleep. I read somewhere that if, if most Americans, if they had an extra hour of sleep, extra hour, extra hour in the day, they would take that hour to sleep. 
But many people can't fall asleep because they're too anxious about what's coming up in the day. You know, we're too tired to sleep. I, I remember I heard that if uh, you know, a child could become too tired to sleep. I just couldn't imagine that because you know, I close my eyes and about three to four seconds later, I'm usually asleep. But, w- but with children, I've learned that if you miss the nap window, right, that time when they can lay down and take a nap, or if you let them stay up too late, it's hard for them to rest and to actually get to sleep. They end up staying up later. And isn't that the case for us, that we have so much going on that we're not able really to relax or to, to rest. You know, most of us plan our lives around the resting that we do from work. But the Lord calls us to work from rest. I think that's why the Sabbath is the first day of the week. That's why we gather together on this day at the beginning of the week so that we are working from the rest that we experience. That's why we gather together to worship Him, to be reminded of who He is. And worship should be a place of rest and sanctuary. And ultimately, when we experience God in worship, we're reminded that Jesus is self-sufficient, that Jesus is inexhaustible. He is unchanged by time, so that those of us who are found in Him are experiencing this eternal rest every moment of every day. With our life secure in Christ, then we don't need to work so hard. We have the freedom to do what's important, not just what is urgent. So, shepherds provide, but the shepherd also protects. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, in finding green pastures for the sheep, the sheep, one must take them um, up the mountains and then also into the valleys. And while the mountains, as you know, are beautiful places to see for a long distance, the, the glory of creation, the reality is, is that most of the growth and most of the life takes place down in the valley. That's where the rivers and streams are. That's where the lush grasses are. But there are also places of danger and peril. There are ferocious beasts that, that lie in wait to attack unsuspecting sheep. Uh, the challenging walking as you get down from the top of the mountain, down into the valley, can cause injury or death. But this journey, this part of life, is what's necessary for the sheep to find these good and lush grasses. David tells us the reason he fears no evil is not because he's strong, It's not because he's wise or because he's good, but because you are with me, he says. It's the presence of the Lord that brings him security. Now, think about this. David was not uh, a wimpy guy. He uh, was a person that was able to kill a lion or a bear when he was a shepherd. He he took on Goliath, the great Philistine warrior, and, and took him out with a stone and a sling. He had many people that wanted him dead at different points in his life. And he had political enemies. He's not a faint-of-heart person. But in his time of struggle, he, he turned to the Lord for protection. He knew that God was with him. We see these ways that God provides for him. The rod could be used to fend off a hungry lion or the the staff could be reached down as a sheep had fallen into a hole with the, the hook of the staff to pull that sheep out of danger. But notice here what David says. He goes from describing, he doesn't say his staff, his rod. He says yours. 
There's this intimacy. There's this connection. There's this relationship that David has with God. Transition suggests intimacy and connection. It's not that God is a distant creator, but He is a close protector. There's a relationship and there's trust. And, and when you're following the shepherd, you can believe and know that, that He's with you. I heard a story about a pious man named Sir John Geyer who was at one time the Lord Mayor of London. And Sir John happened to be in Asia at one period of his life and he was traveling along in a caravan and just through this desert place. Uh, he found himself face to face with a hungry lion. And everybody in his group who could have helped him had already gone forward. And so Sir John knew that only God would be able to deliver him. He thought about Daniel and the lion's den. And so what he did was he fell on his knees and he closed his eyes and he called out to God to deliver him and to shut the mouth of the lion. When he had finished his prayer and he had opened his eyes, the lion was gone. So when he came back to London, he set aside a sum of money to be given away to the poor every October 15th. And he also asked that a sermon every that year would be preached called the Lion Sermon. And so St. Catherine's Church in London, the Church of the Sanctuary, still preaches this sermon more than 150 years later. Because he wanted them to know that God had heard his prayer as he faced the lion. You see, Jesus too has been, is the one who has delivered us from our adversary. Satan, who Peter tells us is like a roaring lion searching the earth, searching for someone to devour. Jesus has delivered us from this lion. So the shepherd provides. The shepherd protects. And the shepherd prepares. Verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And some believe that in this psalm that the image changes from a shepherd to a host. But others believe that it's possible that the table represents an elevated flatland or a mesa where sheep would graze in the summertime. The shepherd would need to, to clear this space of hazardous objects or poisonous plants or uh, drive predators out of the way. In the hot summer sun, uh, the dry air and the pesky insects would make anointing with oil a soothing balm for dry, cracked skin. So we see the shepherd preparing a place for the sheep to experience goodness in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the struggle. In, in the Bible... Whenever we see image, imagery of oil and wine, we also speak of, of joy and prosperity. Since olives and grapes take a long time to grow, oil and wine take time to prepare, meaning that there is blessing in the land. In periods of, uh, of uh, famine or war, these tasks weren't performed. There's this overabundance of, of goodness that the sheep feel, experience when they're with the shepherd. In any season, the, sheep, the shepherd cares for the sheep just as the Lord cares for those who follow him. Notice that this, this promise of provision is not made for the sheep who are not following the shepherd. The ones who are in relationship to him, the ones who are following, those are the ones who experience the protection, the provision, and the preparation. See, those of us who trust in the Lord have, have Jesus in the midst of the struggle. 
There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There's no struggle that you might be facing. There's no health concern. There might no relational challenge, no financial difficulty, no, no haunting past or uncertain future that can separate you from the love of God. See, what I love about Psalm 23 is that it's like a journey uh, that we see uh, the shepherd uh, taking his sheep on. And the life of discipleship with our Savior Jesus is much the same way. It's, it's following Jesus through life's challenges. There are times of blessing and times of plenty. There are mountaintop moments where we can see clearly who God has called us to be. But there are also times in the valley. And that's the place where most of our growth occurs even though it's not an easy place to be. But that's why we continue on each day trusting that Jesus is with us as the Good Shepherd. Not only when we hear a song or hear a sermon or we gather together, but as we wake up on Monday morning, as the new school year begins, as another day in the office, another struggle that we face, more laundry or yard work or paying the bills or packing another lunch or getting ready Thursday night to, for the next thing on Friday morning or teaching a class, whenever we receive uh, the test results, we try to figure out how to deal with our family, Christ is with us, leading, guiding, sharing with us all along the way. David writes that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the promise that one day that we will be with the Lord forever. The tears and the pain and the brokenness will all be gone. But for most of us, as good as that sounds, today's not that day that we're going to be with the Lord forever in an eternal sense. And yet we are also right now with the Lord in an eternal sense. He is with us here. The Spirit of Christ is here with us now as we continue on in this journey. The following ad once appeared in a London newspaper Quote, men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. The ad was signed by Sir Ernest Shackleton, Antarctic Explorer. Amazingly, the ad drew thousands of responses. Eager to sacrifice everything for the prospect of meaningful adventure. I think for too long the Christian life has been falsely pitched as some way to find happiness and comfort in life. And for those of you that have walked with Jesus any length of time, you understand now it's not that way. If you follow Jesus, you're not going to be wealthy, but you're actually going to be called to be poor for the sake of others. If you follow Jesus, you find that you you won't get your way. But in fact, you'll be called to sacrifice what you want for the sake of other people. Increasingly, if you follow Jesus, you won't be seen as culturally acceptable, but more and more out of touch with what the culture says is right and good. The more you follow this man, the more you'll see that there are, quote, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, and safe return, doubtful. You see, Jesus has never promised us the goodness of the world. What He's promised us and what He gives us is Himself. See, what you get if you follow Jesus is Jesus. There's no better gift. There's no better prize. There's no better truth. Only Jesus. 
Would you imagine that King David would know that one day his great-great-great-grandson would once say, I am the good shepherd. Are you following him? Let us pray.